0: Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are many times that we are so grateful for God's intervention. We've been singing about grace today. We're going to talk about grace and no found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was a very desperate time in mankind's history because the wickedness that abounded caused God grief in his heart. We don't often think that what we do can actually cause God to grieve or have pain in his heart. We think that he is so far above that. But the scripture is full of references of not grieving the Holy Spirit or God being grieved in his heart. And one of the ways that we interpret one of the scriptures says the joy of the Lord is my strength. We often think that his joy gives us strength. But I was explain, it was explained to me once that sometimes knowing that what we do gives God joy, gives us strength to continue on doing it. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, we read in the story that he was sorry that he ever recreated man. It was a terrible time. Now, the King James Version states that God regretted that he had ever made man. The Hebrew word for regretted is is nakham, which means to to sigh, to to rue, or or to avenge. Have you ever had one of those where he goes? Ah. That's the picture where he was just exasperated. And you say, how can God get exasperated? Because He knows what they're going to do. Well, we get that way as well. We're made in his image. And there's times even though, though we know something's going to happen, when it happens, we go, oh. you know, much, much like watching the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know they're going to lose. But you go, oh. again. It says, God looked down on mankind that brought grief to his heart. Now, the troubling thing is that we are no different today. In fact, ever since Christ... All the way through, mankind has been in a desperate situation, has been in a time where, and I believe that God has always had someone in place that could fill the role of the person we call the Antichrist. I believe that at any time since Christ has been so desperate that he could have said, now's the time. And we're definitely in one of those times as well as we continue to see things happening. It says in Matthew 24, 37, that uh, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the end of time be. And we are rapidly approaching the same type of climate that saw the destruction of the world through the flood. And God has promised that there will be another cleansing. It will will not be by water. He says, I won't do it again by water. But this time it's going to be by fire. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, but the day of the Lord is. Will come. It'll come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, if it stopped there, we would have one of those moments, but it doesn't. There's hope. And there was hope then and there is now, because God always has a plan. He knows the plans that he has towards us. Jeremiah records in chapter 29, verse 11, that they are plans to prosper and not to harm. Plans to give us a hope and a future. Now, God's plan was fulfilled through a righteous man. His name was Noah. And through him, his family was saved from the devastation of the flood. But why Noah? Of all the people that were alive on the earth then, why Noah? Was there something about him that caused God to take special notice of him? Well, verse 8 says, but Noah found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's amazing how one little word can change the entire course of a passage. Here it's talking about all the wickedness of man. It's talking about how miserable they were, how God had regretted, and then we see this one word says "but." And that always indicates a change in direction. We see the original intent of God to completely destroy all traces of humanity, and then the word "but." Now Noah's name means "rest." or quiet. That's what his name means. Uh, For those that have named one of your sons Noah, and we have one here, sometimes it means resting quiet. Sometimes it doesn't. But for Noah in the Bible, his father prophesied over him, and we see that prophecy in chapter 5 and verse 29. He says, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. So his father recognized that there was something special about this child and he prophesied. Names in the Old Testament were often given a lot greater significance than they are today. Most people today, they pick a name because they like the sound of it. But in the Old Testament, they would pick a name because it would somehow attach a character trait to that name. He says he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's a man by the name of George Barna. And George Barna is one of the leading statisticians of church-related items. What he does, he's got a whole foundation, a whole company... And they will go with surveys and questions. They'll ask 100, 1,000, 5,000 people a question and see what answers they come up with. And from that, they will tabulate the statistics and give us an understanding of what the general public knows. And he, uh, he once conducted interviews on the street. He says, what is grace? Or in our new, new internationalist, what is What is favor? So he asked that question, what is it? Well, the responses were very mixed. A lot of them said, I don't know. Some refused to answer because they were in a big hurry. Some immediately became defensive. What is grace? Well, what do you mean, what's grace? Others tried to answer, but they couldn't. They could not come up with A working definition of what it really means. So, what's that tell us? Most people alive today do not really know what grace or favor is all about. We sing a song called Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Many of the people who sing it have no idea what it's talking about, they just like the song. But if they were to analyze it, we're going to analyze the word grace in just a moment. You know, I'm one of those word guys. I like words and the definitions of words and what they mean. So we're going to take a look at it. Here's the definition. Grace is defined as one that gives unmerited favor to one who does not deserve it. It is a gift given based on God's activity in our life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And you'll see this printed on the inside of your bulletin. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works that no one can boast. Hmm. So grace is God's undeserved activity in our lives. We can't earn it, we can't buy it, we can't deserve it, we can't inherit it. It is something that God, on his own initiative, begins to work with his activity in our lives. It is a gift of God. So when Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord... It was God's initiative from the beginning to the end. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it was because of the initiative of God on your life to draw you and forgive your sins as you accepted him. It's not because of how well you do your good works. And I'm afraid there's still many people in the world that think their salvation is based on how good a life they live. Sorry, that's not it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't deserve it. You can't inherit it. Just because your parents were believers in Christ doesn't mean you have a free ticket to get through. I learned that very on, early on in life. My, my dad was a pastor. My mom was a pastor's wife. Small church. They did everything in the church. Dad would lead the song service from the piano, and Mom would help him sing, and Dad would preach. And if I misbehaved, Dad would take me downstairs in the middle of service. I kid you not. That happened. But just because they had this tie with God did not mean that I had one. One summer, I was about eight years of age, they they took me to a church camp up in the Bruce Peninsula. And I still remember watching their car drive off down the driveway... And realizing for the first time I was alone. My tie with God was gone. But at that camp that summer, the camp evangelist told us that I could have my own relationship with God. I could receive him as my Lord and my Savior through Jesus Christ. And that summer I made a commitment of my life to Jesus Christ. And I didn't need the religion of my parents anymore. I had my own relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I trusted him as my Savior, and I'm still trusting him today, many, many years later. Now, Charles Swindoll says that to show grace is to extend favor or kindness to one who doesn't deserve it and can never earn it. Receiving God's acceptance by grace always stands in sharp contrast to earning it on the basis of works. Every time the thought of grace appears... There's the idea of its being undeserved. In no way is the recipient getting what he or she deserves. Favor is being extended simply out of the goodness of the heart of the giver. That's what Charles Swindoll says that grace is. And as as God looked over the whole span of humanity, there was a feeling of almost total despair with the exception of one. This man, Noah, he stood out like a shining star in the midst of the darkness, and God chose to become active in his life. So what do we know about Noah? Most of us know the highlights. He built a boat, and he had lots of animals. The number one question I've been asked over the years is, why did he not kill those two mosquitoes? I don't know. What do we know about Noah? Genesis 6-9 says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. My goodness, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to have that said about you? That you are a righteous person, blameless among the people of your time, and you walk faithfully with God. Well, we all can. And although we don't get much information about the time between Adam and Noah, according to the years that are given in the genealogy of chapter 5, there is a time frame of over 1,600 years. Okay? We, we sometimes wonder why the genealogies are in the Bible. Well, it's so I can get an interesting statistic like that to give you with this Sunday morning. And many of these lives overlapped each other, of course, but from the numbers that we are given, we add them up. There is over 1,600 years between Adam and Noah. And just imagine how much things have changed in our lifetime. Even since the uh, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s how much things have changed in that span of time. And can you imagine where it would be 1600 years from now? So from the time of creation when Noah came out of the, or when Adam came out of the garden, to the time of Noah, humanity had 1600 years to get to the place that it was at. And as God looked at Noah, he saw a righteous man. Now to walk with the Lord, a man must be at peace with him and out of this relationship, God chose to show his favor to and through Noah. Now, it's interesting. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Well, verse 9, uh, verse 9 of, of Genesis 6, we mentioned that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people, he walked faithfully with God. So that speaks of two things. Number one, it speaks of his reputation. And number two, of his character. Reputation is what other people think about you. Your reputation is based on your interaction with other people. And here it says he was blameless with uh, when it came to the people that were around him. But the second thing, your character, that's who you really are on the inside. And he was a righteous man who walked faithfully with God. Now, both of these are not attained in just a few days or weeks, and both of these take a lifetime of consistency, making the right choices and then living by them. And as God looked down on the great depravity of man, Noah stood out as a hope that not all was lost, that there still could be something worth redeeming in mankind. We sang a great hymn this morning, and the verse says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And How many times has that been our testimony? We say, oh, God, I want to live for you. God, I want to I honor you in every way of my life. We've been studying in uh, our Bible study every other Wednesday morning, the book of Romans. And we see that Paul, too, went through that struggle. Where he says, The good that I want to do, I end up not doing, and I end up doing what I don't want to do. And it was a struggle. He says he was prone to wander, and we, we feel discouraged. We feel so uh, ashamed. And we say, Oh God, is there any hope? See, God saw that there was something worth redeeming in Noah's time, and is still redeeming for us today. I am so glad that 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is still in the Bible. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad that verse is still there. And I'm glad I can trust it because I believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God and we can place all of our hope and faith in what the word of god says so noah prepared the ark after the pattern that god gave him this task took him 120 years how many of you have a, a task that you have been putting off for one or two decades uh, years. This took a hundred and okay, Tim. This week we're going to start to build a boat out in the parking lot. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. No one didn't know how to do it either. I need someone strong. Okay. You know, after after uh, you know a couple months, people gather around and say, "Oh, what are they doing?" After a year or two, they would say they still building that thing? The board would say, um, can you move it? We're losing parking spaces. Imagine 120 years this thing was being built. And Noah was facing the ridicule. Why? Because he was building it in a place where there was no water. Like we, I think it's safe for us to assume that where he was building it, there was no water. And we need to realize that up until that time... It had never rained on the earth. We're going to talk about that. And during that time, he also was preaching to all the souls around him. And he's building this boat. How many have ever seen the movie Evan Almighty? You ever ever seen that one? It's about a modern-day Noah who builds a boat, and he's encouraging people to get on the boat, and they're laughing at him and making fun of him until it starts to rain. Now, we need to understand that about this, this task that up to this point, there had never been one drop of rain. Genesis 2, verses 5 and 6 tells us that the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So, we're not exactly told where Noah chose to, to build this ark, but I I don't think it was near a body of water. Uh, But it was in a place that was accessible to all the animals of the land, for they were able to find their way at God's direction two by two to the ark. This process took place where everyone could see the project. It took 120 years. And then God tells him that he is going to do something that he had never seen in over 1,600 years. He was going to cause it to rain. And their response would probably be, What's rain? What is rain? Now, I don't know really the, uh, the climate down in, in Paraguay. Does it ever snow? It never snows. Okay, so if you did not have television and movies and Christmas cards, You would not know what snow was by experience. So they had nothing to compare it to. They had nothing to help them understand. And so why did Noah take this seriously? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 7 and 8 says this. By faith, Noah, being warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Well, Scripture tells us then that God brought the water. The springs of the earth were opened up, and the windows of heaven were opened so that the rain poured down on the earth. And what is that talking about? Glad you asked. Now, remember the Genesis account of creation in chapter 1, verse uh, 6 to 8, it says, And God said, Let there be a vault, or an expanse, between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so, and God called the vault sky. Well, that's Interesting. Because that indicates that there was water on the earth below, and there was water above the sky in a great canopy of water. And the purpose above the, of the water above the earth was kept safe all those years until just the right time for God's purpose. Now, folks, I want to encourage you right now. There are times you go through need and want. There are times when you need Something from God, but let me tell you: just as He had the water in store for the time when it would be needed, God also has all that is necessary to fill the need in your life that you may be experiencing right now. There's been times in my wife and I's, uh, our our lives when we had a real desperate need, and we prayed. And we prayed, God, send the rain. We weren't talking about the the water that falls. We had another need. And we were asking God for a shower for that need. And God began to send the rain. He sent it in one form and then another form and then another form until the need was met and God was faithful. He already had it in store. He was just waiting for us to ask. And as we as we asked, he began to pour it out in our lives. And the blessing of God that continues to this day has been a result of God's unmerited favor on our lives. It's not because of us, it's because of him. That's what grace is all about. Rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And the earth was flooded for 150 days. The waters receded. Noah and his family were in the ark from the 17th day of the second month until the first day of the first month. So that's just a little bit short of an entire year. Now, here's something that's interesting. You don't think God has a plan and God's in the details? The ark came to rest upon the mountains of Ararat on the 17th day of the Jewish calendar Nissan. Nisan. The 14th day of Nisan would later be remembered as the day of Passover. And Passover, of course, was when Jesus was crucified. That means three days past that would be the day in which the tomb of Christ would be discovered empty. The day Noah's Ark came to rest was a day of resurrection, a day of new life, a day of new beginnings. No matter where you are in your life, no matter how old or how young you are, today can be a day of new beginnings for you. Today can be a day of new beginnings as God begins to use you in a fresh and new way as you allow his spirit to flow in and through your lives. God alone knows what he is able to do. Many times what he's looking for is a vessel through which to use it to bless others and yourselves. So let me leave you with this. God still has a plan to show his grace, his favor, on all those who are willing to receive it. Pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that as we internalize it, each one of it, as we listen to what your spirit is saying to our hearts, that we would be open for your undeserved favor to become active in our lives. And Lord, for those who need to make their peace with God And let Jesus be the Lord of their lives, Lord, today that they would receive that free gift of grace that's been given to them. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.